Have you ever woken up one day and thought, yes, I am going to do absolutely everything that needs to be done, still have a time for a cup of tea and a cosy chit-chat with your neighbour? Nope, me neither. Despite all that needs to be done, I tend to procrastinate, or as Jenny calls it, utilise displacement activity. Now, what that means to you and me is doing something which seems so much more enjoyable and essential at the time, rather than what really needs to be done. Let's do the washing up later. Right now, I need to record the next episode of Emmerdale. Otherwise, I might forget. We all know how difficult it can be to do something at times. So fortunately, when God calls us to do something, we won't forget it and it won't leave us. Ask Samuel. One night he was in the tabernacle, basically a tent across the temple, doing quite well in the property market right now, about to go to sleep when the Lord calls him. Here I am, says Samuel to Eli, his teacher. Alas, Samuel doesn't realise it was the Lord who was calling him. There we go. Samuel, Samuel, says God. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening, replies Samuel. The Lord says, see, I'm about to do something in Israel which will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. He knew that his sons were desecrating God's name and God's place, and he did nothing to stop them. This is my sentence on the family of Eli. The evil of Eli's family can never be wiped out by sacrifice or offering. Now, I wouldn't want to be in Eli's shoes, for that matter, or Samuel's. Samuel tells Eli what will happen to his family, which is a most horrendous, yet just punishment. Yet, Eli quite amazingly takes it on the chin. He is a lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. For me, Eli's depth of faith is nothing short of incredible. For some of you, you might be thinking, how can you tell if we have been called by God? And in many respects, there is no straightforward answer. However, I will focus on Samuel's calling as I believe it is one of the most dramatic examples of this. Firstly, we can look to the long-term effect in Samuel's life from this event with God. Verse 19 says, The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. He let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. The crucial part of a calling is when the words from the Lord go on resonating within you, giving you the willingness, the courage, the determination to do his work and to see it through. If you are given a calling from God, he will make sure you are given opportunities to do what he wants you to do. Verse 20 says, And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. In Samuel's experience, it was the opportunity to talk to people, for it was through conversation that the Lord worked his wonders. 
God continued to show himself to Samuel, which was why Israel's people declared him as a prophet. Both of the above are good evidence of a calling. However, those alone don't make a calling. You need one last thing, which wasn't mentioned in Samuel, but was hinted now. It's the passion burning inside you from the calling. I really don't like talking about myself. It makes me feel boastful, but I don't know any other intimate details from when people were called by God, so I'm going to draw from my own experiences for this example. Back in August last summer, I was trying to figure out where I was go- wanted to go in my life. I was working at the news agents at the time, and I, I was serving customers. <laughs> That's what I was doing at the time, and God just said, go into ministry. And I just, I felt this, well, first, this sense of calm, this peace. And then, almost instantaneously, this huge, enormous wave of emotion, sort of like a tidal wave, just crashed over me. And it was so, so many emotions run over. And I couldn't tell you for my life what they were, but except for one, joy. Pure joy. For me, it's important to have a passion burning inside you. You may not always be conscious of it, but the determination to see the calling through should be there. Samuel had these feelings as well. How else could he have gone up to his teacher and said Eli was and his family were destined for death and destruction? God called Samuel to say to Eli what needed to be said as a test to see if Samuel would be a worthy prophet, judge, and priest. Could you do the Lord's work, no matter what he called you to do? The next question we should ask is, when would we be given a calling? The reality is, any time, anywhere, I was called when I was working. Samuel was when he was trying to go to sleep. Simple answer, but in reality, would we really be ready for a calling at any time, of a day or night. Samuel certainly wasn't. He needed guidance from Eli to realize it was God calling him. Go and lie down. And if he calls you to say, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That's what verse 9 says. We need to be ready at all times from God to intervene in our lives, take control, and use us for his glory. It can be rather humorous when you pick up telephone calls from uh, people who have clearly called the wrong number. He thinks you are his dentist and he's saying how he needs to reschedule his appointment due to a business meeting. And you're trying to fit in a word just to say he's calling a private number. He just never listens, does he? Until he realizes you are trying to interrupt him. Who do you think you are, he says. To which you reply, I'm Mr. So-and-so. I think you've called the wrong number. Oh, escapes the gentleman's mouth. An awkward silence. Then he hangs up. They are rather amusing situations for us to be on the receiving end of such a conversation. But what does it feel like to be on the other end? How would it feel if we felt we were called to do something which we weren't truly supposed to do? Sometimes it can be genuine mistakes, such as 
calling the wrong number or perhaps taking the wrong message. But sometimes it can be trying to read a message which doesn't really exist. One such example happened to Joseph Smith Jr. He began the Mormon movement back in the 1820s after a vision from God. He claims to have seen a great pillar of light and angels descend upon him who told him not to join churches as they were all corrupt. He was told to wait until the fullness of the gospel would be revealed to him. Now, I'm not here to pick holes in Mormonism. I've no right to cast the first stone. However, I can tell you their faith is false. I simply need to point to Galatians 1.8, which says, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that was preached to you, let them be under God's curse. Strong words, but they are from the Bible. So it's not going to be said lightheartedly. This leads on rather perfectly to my last point. Hooray. <laughs> Which is, what should we do if we think we've been called? The first one is read the scriptures. God may have further instructions for you or to warn you of potential minefields, as he did for Samuel. That's exactly the same in prayer. Take time to seek God's will. He may want to talk to you further. You should also seek to mull over the words whilst resting, as Samuel did. After that calling from God, he rested until morning. I find taking time to think over what God has told you to do is good. A silent time of meditation really does reap benefits. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. In the morning, Samuel spoke to Eli about his vision, so we should do the same. Talk to a minister or a Christian friend or family. They will understand and may have further instructions for you or guidance. The last and most important point is to take advantage of the opportunities which you are given. If it is God's will, he will open doors for you to take advantage of. What God wants at the end of the day is the best for you. He won't put you in situations you can't handle or not offer help. John 16.33 says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I believe if God has called you to something, this passage from John is perfect for you. Yes, there may be trouble ahead. Yes, Satan will do, Satan will do all he can to put you down. Yes, it will feel as if we can't do it, but don't give up. I find this morning tremendously exciting. Exciting because we're together. Exciting because it's the Lord's day. Exciting because we know that God keeps his promises. But exciting perhaps most of all because of Alex's passion. It's wonderful, isn't it? To listen to a young person with passion for the gospel. We used to sing a hymn years and years ago. Um, the good old days of congregational praise. <laughs> Just as I am, young, strong, and free, to be the best that I can be, for truth and righteousness and thee, Lord of my life, I come. Just as I am. Just as I am. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to give yourself in that 
glorious way, just as I am young, strong, and free, to be the best that I can be. My life to give, my vows to pay, with no reserve and no delay, Lord of my life, I come. Well, that's okay for the young people. What about for the older ones amongst us? Alex is just starting out, and I'm coming to the end of the road. Well, I'm not actually, but it feels like that sometimes. And supposing, supposing you were called years and years ago, and you feel you've let God down. Supposing you start so well and then something happens and you get tripped up and you crash and burn. How do you cope with that experience? Well, we're still in the period of Easter, in the season of Easter officially. So let me take you to John 21. Don't worry about turning up the passage. I've got my thumb in it and... uh, I will uh, turn to it as and when we need to refer to it. Peter, he was called, we've just heard Brenda um, tell us the story, read the story of how Peter was called. He was just an ordinary fisherman mending the nets, and Jesus came up to him and Simon, son of John, follow me. And Peter immediately left his work and followed Jesus. And the next three years were the most fantastic years of Peter's life. They encouraged him to recognize in this Galilean carpenter the Christ, the son of the living God, someone for whom he was prepared to give his life. And you know the story. On that very night when he said to Jesus, even Though they all run away, I won't run away. I won't desert you. I shall be here, come hell or high water, to prison or to death. I'm there for you. And a few hours later, what happened? I don't know who he is. I've never seen him before. What are you asking me for? I've never set eyes on him. And the cock crew. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And Peter remembered. And he went out and wept bitterly. Now how do you cope with that kind of failure? It's all very well when you're starting out and you've got that wonderful passion. And we've heard that this morning. We praise God for that this morning. But what about when things get tough and really difficult? What happens then? Well, you remember, don't you, from the gospel story, how Peter said to the others, this was after the resurrection, he knew that Jesus had risen from the dead. He'd actually talked to Jesus. And he said to his friends, he said, I'm going fishing. And they said, all right, we'll come with you. And off they they went. And it says in in, in John 21, afterwards, Jesus appeared again with his disciples. And this is how it happened. Simon said, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went and got into the boat. And that night, they caught nothing. Absolutely zilch. (laughs) Nothing at all. And then, in the early morning, they saw someone on the shore. 
Have you caught anything? No! Throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because the large number of fish. And John realized who it was. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Now, Peter was stripped to the waist because he'd been working all night. But he'd got to get to Jesus. He'd got to get to Jesus. And so, modesty out of the window, he jumped into the sea and waded up to be there with Jesus, to meet with Jesus. And you remember the story? Jesus said, have you had any breakfast? Now, you know, I always love this this story in John 21 because breakfast is my favorite meal. Because I'm a man, you see. Full English. Fried bacon and fried bread and, oh, yes, well, there you are. And, and, and Jesus was a man after my own heart. There was no fried bread and bacon and eggs for for them, but Jesus was concerned about breakfast. Have you had breakfast? And no, of course, they hadn't had breakfast. And so they sat down. And Jesus turned to Peter. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. Simon, son of John, do you really love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus said a third time, do you love me? Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. Feed my lambs. Now you can dress yourself and you can go wherever you want. The day is coming when someone else will dress you and they will take you to the place where you don't want to go. And Jesus said that to indicate the kind of death that Peter would undergo for him. And afterwards he said, follow me. The same two words he'd said all those years before. And so the story you see, the truth of the gospel, is that it It doesn't matter if we crash and burn because Jesus will be there by the shore waiting for us, loving us, forgiving, understanding, restoring, bringing us back. But he does it in such a wonderful way. Now, Jesus spoke Aramaic, but the gospel is written in Greek. I don't believe that means that in any sense, we can't trust the gospel. These are the very words of Jesus because they were written down by, certainly by either John the fisherman or by uh, the disciple of John the fisherman. These are the words of Jesus. But in the Greek, you see, there's a little play on the word love. There are three words for love in Greek. Eros, which means physical love. Philia, which means friendship. And agape, which means the kind of love God has for you and me, the kind of love really which is impossible for a human being to have fully. 
And Jesus says to Peter, first of all, Simon, son of John, do you love me with agape love? And Peter replies, Lord, you know I am your friend. He uses the word philia. And the second time, Jesus says, Simon, son of John, do you love me with agape love? And Peter says, Lord, you know I am your friend. He uses the word philia again. But the third time, Jesus himself says, Simon, son of John, are you really my friend? He doesn't use the word agape the third time. He uses the word philia. And that seems to say to me that Jesus understands you and me. He knows we can't maintain that level of passion and commitment. Sometimes we're going to let him down. But it doesn't matter. He accepts what we are ready and able to give. So if this morning has spoken to you at all, if you think to yourself, is God calling me to do something special? And please, please, please remember, you don't have to be a minister or a missionary to, ex- to accept the call of God, to respond to the call of God. You can be a school teacher, you can be a, a, a fireman, you can be a, an accountant, you can be a salesman, you can be, you can be anything you like. You can be retired, well, anything God likes, actually. Not you like, anything God likes. You can be an oil magnate, you can be whatever. No one is excluded. No one. Everyone is called. But they're called to follow. And sometimes when you follow, you stumble. Don't worry. He understands. He accepts what you give him. That's the kind of saviour he is 